Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, Sharon presents Part 1 of the Gospel of Luke, Chapter 23. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. You remember from last week, Jesus had gone before the council. He had left the supper, gone into the Garden of Gethsemane, tempted, sweating blood, arrested, betrayed by Judas, 30 pieces of silver, arrested, stands before the council. They seized him. They led him away. They brought him into the high priest's house. And the high priest's house is somewhere we know with 100% accuracy in the Holy Land, Caiaphas's house. The men who were holding Jesus mocked him, they beat him, they blindfolded him, and they asked, prophesy, who is that that struck you? And they spoke many other words against him, reviling him, and they lowered him into this pit that night. And you can go there today and stand in that exact same pit, 100% sure where Jesus was. You go down through the hole, they would have lowered him through the hole, we go downstairs now, you go down these stairs and into the pit, you can actually stand where Jesus stood. And on the pit is a podium and the Bible, and the Bible is open to Psalm 88. Because Jesus prayed the Psalms. These are the prayers of King David, and he's in the kingly line, the messianic king in the line of David. So he probably was praying this in the pit that night, in the dark. He had been scourged, mocked, beaten. Oh, Lord, my God, I call for help by day. I cry out in the night before thee. Let my prayer come before thee. Incline thy ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I am reckoned down among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one forsaken among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom thou dost remember no more. They are cut off from thy hand. Thou hast put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Thou hast caused my companions to shun me. Thou hast made me a thing of horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Tonight, Luke 23, then the whole company of them arose and brought Jesus before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, we found this man perverting our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, which we never did. We saw that when he had the coin, he said, give to Caesar what Caesar's, give to God what's God's. He's saying himself that he's Christ, a king. And Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, you have said so. It's kind of nebulous. There's a little tension here. Pilate said to the chief priests and the multitudes, I find no crime in this man. No crime. Number one, I find no crime in this man. But they were urgent saying that he stirs up the people teaching throughout all of Judea from Galilee, even to this place. And when Pilate heard that this man was a Galilean, ah, he's got an out. When he learned that Jesus belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, Pilate sent Jesus over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. Now, Herod had many palaces throughout the region, but he'd come to Jerusalem for Passover. So he's there, and he's the king of Israel. And Pilate has come in from the Roman Empire as to govern over King Herod. They don't get along too well. 
When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard all about him. Is this that guy that can do all those things, all those tricks, all those things? I want to see this guy. Well, Jesus certainly knew about him, because he had taken the life of his kinsman, John the Baptist. And because John spoke the truth and said that he was illegally married to his brother, Philip's wife. And then the night he threw a dinner party and drank lots of alcohol and had Salome come in and do a very, very special dance for the king. There's Herod lusting after Salome. She does an incredible dance. He says, I'll give you whatever you want up to half my kingdom. She consults with her mother. I'll take the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And so it was. In front of all those people, he had pledged up to half his kingdom. He had to be true to his word. And the head of John the Baptist is given to Salome for a seductive after-dinner dance. King Herod was hoping to see some sign done by Jesus. Some tricks. John used to puzzle him. He loved that. Here's Jesus now. And Herod questioned Jesus at some length, but Jesus made no answer. Jesus won't open his mouth. He won't say a word to Herod. He made no answer, no reply. He stays mute. Now, you remember the suffering servant when we studied Isaiah, and there are four suffering servant songs. Servant poems, they're called, or the songs of the suffering servant from Isaiah 42, 49, 50, and then 52, 53 combined. And Jesus will fulfill a lot of these tonight in Luke, like this one in Isaiah 53 that says he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. Yes, like a Passover lamb being led to the final slaughter, the final blood atonement for sin. He won't open his mouth before Herod. A sheep that goes before its shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Isaiah 53, 7 fulfilled. Herod questioned Jesus at some length, but Jesus made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently, vehemently accusing him, spewing with venom. And Herod and his soldiers treated Jesus with contempt. They mocked him. They arrayed him in gorgeous apparel, making fun of this king, crowning him, dressing him, spitting on him, mocking him. Another Isaiah prophecy fulfilled of the suffering servant, Isaiah 50, verse 6, I gave my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who plucked my beard, my face I did not shield from buffets and spitting. Then Herod sent him back to Pilate. And the interesting thing, and only Luke tells us, that Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before this, they had been at enmity with each other. They hated each other. But you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. He's flattered that that Pilate has sent him to me, Herod, because he's a Galilean. He's respecting me, the king of Israel. Now I'll send him back to Pilate. And the two men became friends that day. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was perverting the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Number two time, Pilate says it. He's not guilty. I don't find anything. Neither did Herod. Herod didn't find anything. Herod sent him back to us. Behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Pilate knows it clear as a bell. Herod knows it clear as a bell. To appease them, Pilate says, I will therefore chastise him and release him. Another fulfillment, Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep 
have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Fulfilled. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes, we, right now, today, are healed. This is the final atonement. This is the perfect blood sacrifice that will be gladly accepted by the Father. But he must go through Roman crucifixion. This was always preceded with the flagrum or the flagellum, which made the criminal unsightly to look at. Uh, dreadful punishment, the flagrum or the flagellum, was uh, designed quickly to beat the victim and remove flesh from the body. The Roman scourge, it was called the flagrum or flagellum, a short whip made with two or three oxhide thongs or ropes connected to a handle. On the ropes, on the leather ropes, were lead pieces or zinc balls with little spikes in them, sharpened bone shards, anything that would tear the skin and hurt the person, mostly zinc and iron with barbs and just very disfiguring weapon. The Romans would, according to custom, scourge a condemned criminal before he was put to death with this tool. And scourging would quickly remove the skin and leave permanent scarring. So if a criminal just needed scourging and not crucifixion, they would have the wounds forever, the scars forever. The punishment was particularly dreadful. In the Roman world, we see many paintings of it, many with the flagellum, Jesus tied to the column, being whipped and scourged. Cicero... The great orator at the time said, crucifixion is the extreme and ultimate punishment of slaves and the cruelest and most disgusting penalty. Josephus said that crucifixion was the most pitiable of all deaths. The victim was stripped naked, forced to bend over and tied to a stake or a column, and then flogged with a flagrum. Roman scourging, a punishment for serious criminals but they had to be non-Roman citizens. We know that because in Acts 22, they're going to scourge Paul. This is Acts 22. They had tied Paul up with thongs. Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? And when the centurion heard that, he went up to the tribune and said to him, what are you about to do for this man is a Roman citizen? So the tribune came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And Paul said, yes. And the tribune said, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. And Paul said, but I was born a citizen because he's Paul of Tarsus and Tarsus was under the Roman Empire and he was born a Roman citizen. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him instantly. The tribune was also afraid. They realized Paul was a Roman citizen and they had him bound. That was illegal. Jesus Christ, unlike Paul, Jesus Christ was not a Roman citizen. He was born in Bethlehem, Israel. He hailed from Nazareth, Israel in the Galilee area. Another fulfillment, Isaiah 52, 14, just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. This would have been how he looked after the flogging, his form marred beyond human likeness. According to Jewish law, it's the discipline of the synagogue, that the number of stripes was 40 less one. You had to go one less than 40, 39 lashes. You could not do 40. 40 would about kill a person. The rabbis had 168 actions that were punishable by scourging before the judges of the Sanhedrin. But Romans, nevertheless, scourging among the Romans was a severe form of punishment, and there was no legal limit to how many lashes could be given. The Jews said no more than 39. The Romans had no number. They could go until whenever. It caused deep lacerations, torn flesh, exposed muscles, excessive bleeding, 
and really the criminal would be left half dead and the centurion in charge would order the lictors they were called to halt the flogging when the criminal was near death. Some died in the flogging process. They didn't even get to crucifixion. Death was often the result of the cruel form of punishment, though it was necessary to keep the criminal alive so that they could be brought before public subjugation on the cross. They wanted the other people to make an example of this. You do this, there's where you'll be. So they wanted it to be a public thing. You can see the scourging marks on the Shroud of Turin. Enhanced National Geographic photography of the shroud shows bloodstains and wounds on the man of the shroud of Turin. Unlike uh, it would include the scourging with the Roman flagrum, they can tell exactly how long the whips were, what the balls looked like. They were just from the shroud. They put it with ultraviolet light, and it's consistent with the gospel's description of Jesus' suffering. The back of the shroud shows the crisscross patterns of scourge wounds, meaning that there were scourge blows over existing scourge wounds. So he was beaten the different places he had to go that night. Pilate was obliged to release one man to them at the festival. This is the festival of the Passover. There's over a million Jews in Jerusalem. And as a celebration, a jubilee for their big Passover festival, the Roman government would release one prisoner. But they cried out together, away with this man and release to us Barabbas. We want Barabbas. You know, when we have to say that on Good Friday, and we have to scream it at mass at church. His name was Barabbas. He was a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection, started in the city and for murder. Matthew says that he was a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Mark says that among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. What is an insurrectionist? A person who takes part in an armed rebellion against the constituted authority, a freedom fighter, an insurgent, a rebel. So Rome has taken over Israel. These guys are mad. This is their country. And they gather together and they, they're rebels. They're freedom fighters. They want Israel back. And so they'll hide and then they'll do a, a riot or a, a, they cause an insurrection. And so Barabbas must have killed a Roman soldier in the process. He's been put into prison for leading an armed rebellion against the authority of Rome. And they want Barabbas. They want Barabbas out. They don't want Jesus. And what does Barabbas mean? Bar is son of Abba, son of the father. They want son of the father. Each of us is a beloved son of the father or a beloved daughter of the father. That's our deepest, truest identity. But Jesus was the son of the father. And Jesus united himself forever with our humanity. He joined us. He's our brother. We're siblings to him. We have the same father. He, he takes on our humanity for all time when he becomes incarnate flesh. And he pays the price for each of us guilty sons and daughters of the father that we could be set free from our chains and bondage of sin and death. He'll crush sin on the cross. He'll crush death when he rises from the dead. So do you want this son of the father or this son of the father? And they said, we want Barabbas. And we are all a Barabbas. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. Matthew 19, 27, 19 tells us that Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat. And how ironic is that, that here's the judge of the entire world, Jesus. He is the one on the judgment seat now. But Pilate is judging the judge of the universe. And Matthew is the only one that tells us, just in one verse, verse 19, that Pilate's wife sent him a message. 
Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. She's upset. She has to get a message to him. It's just one verse in Matthew, but people remember it well. Pilate's wife wakes from a nightmare. She's been suffering with this dream. She felt haunted and terrified, and she sends a message to her husband, Pontius Pilate, to have nothing to do with this innocent man's death. Three times, Pilate has said he's innocent in this passage. We know that Satan is lurking everywhere in this passion scene. I do like how Mel Gibson had Satan just so everywhere. In these three days, this is androgynous figure. Here it looks like a Madonna and child. And when you turn and see the child, it's a demon baby. Do you remember that scene? And he's lurking everywhere. And as remember, Jesus has told them to be watchful and sober and awake because the enemy is prowling, ready to devour them. And you see him everywhere. He's everywhere. He's in the crowd. He's, he's just very much present. Pilate's wife possibly fears for her husband's life. Her message is that Christ is innocent. And she is the only woman who speaks out during the entire passion in all four accounts. And she speaks truth. She says, Christ is innocent. Her name was Claudia Procula in history. And many statues appear of her in Easter parades in Spanish-speaking countries. They have statues of Claudia. Her name in Latin means light. Claudia. And writing in his commentary on Matthew, Origen, one of the church fathers, said that God sent Claudia the terrifying dream so that she would convert to Catholicism, which she did when it was all over. And Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich, she is a blessed on her way to sainthood, but she wrote an account based on her visions and private revelations. And it is what Mel Gibson used in his movie of the Passion, some of her material, some of her visions. And this is one of her visions. When Jesus fell down at the foot of the pillar after the flagation, I saw Claudia Proculus, the wife of Pilate, send some large pieces of linen to the mother of God. I know not whether she thought that Jesus would be set free and that his mother would then require linen to dress his wounds, or whether this compassionate lady, Claudia, was aware of the use which would be made of her present, her gift. Because Mary, in the movie, Mary Magdalene and Mary, Mother of God, are wiping up every drop of his precious blood after the flagation with the linens. It's a beautiful scene. They don't want one drop of his precious blood to be wasted. This is the final atonement blood, the perfect sacrificial blood to atone for all sin of all time. And so they're careful to wipe it up. There was a law in Leviticus 17.11 that said, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is in the blood that makes the atonement for the soul. So they aren't going to waste one precious drop of that atoning blood. Now, Pilate was known for his brutality. He did not shy away from bloodshed. And we're told in Matthew 27 that Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere. And that instead an uproar was starting. Now, his whole sole purpose is to be there to keep Pax Ramona. He is to keep peace for Rome. His boss is Emperor Tiberius in Rome. And he's been sent there as the governor of Judea, who they have taken as a province. And he's to keep peace there, especially during Passover, when there's over a million Jews in this city. Control these people. But Pilate took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. He said, I'm innocent of this man's blood. It's your responsibility. I wash my hands of it. That's where we get that phrase. I wash my hands of it. I'm done. It, he's innocent. It's yours. It's your responsibility, people. And all the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. 
And how ironic is it that his blood is on us and on our children, the blood of atonement, the perfect blood sacrifice that will save us. Pope Benedict XVI writes this about that event. When in Matthew's account, the whole people say his blood is upon us and our children, the Christian will remember that Jesus' blood speaks a different language from the blood of April. That's in Hebrews 12. It does not cry out for vengeance and punishment. It brings reconciliation. It is not poured out against anyone. It is poured out for many, for all. So what he said at his last supper in Luke 22, Jesus took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. He pours his blood out for the world. Pilate washed his hands of the situation. He hands over the responsibility of Jesus's fate in his own mind. He's handing it over to the crowd. He's washed his hands of it. He's washed his hands of the responsibility and the culpability, and the crowd has taken it on and accepts it. Let his blood be on us and our children. Pilate had the power, the political power, to release Jesus Christ, but he did not. He was between a rock and a hard place. He really was, because he's in cahoots, right? He's to keep Rome. He's got to keep Herod happy. He's got to keep Tiberius Caesar happy. He's got to keep the people happy. He's not supposed to let any riots break out. You've got a million people screaming and yelling. They're getting hotter and hotter and hotter. And, and, and he's, Pilate felt he had to cooperate with the Jewish authorities in order to keep the peace and to stay in the good graces of Tiberius Caesar, the emperor of Rome, whom he served. He could be gone in a minute. And every Sunday now, for all eternity, we will say his name in the Nicene Creed. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. And he's a real figure. He's a real historical man. He's in the history books. They also, in 1961, found the Pilate Stone in Caesarea Maritima. Some of you have seen it. It's, uh, this is where Pilate lived by the sea. Beautiful, but he had to come to Jerusalem for Passover. But in Caesarea, they found a stone, a memorial stone in 1961 with Pontius Pilate's name on it. He did exist. He is a historical figure. In Latin, it says Pontius Pilate. He dedicated a building, a temple actually, to the emperor Tiberius in 30 AD. Pilate had built a Tiberium, a temple to Tiberius. It's flattering to be named after the emperor. Near Caesarea, he dedicated it to the Roman Emperor Tiberius, who was ruling at this time. The Sea of Galilee had been now, the name had been changed to the Sea of Tiberius after the Emperor. They're changing everything. They're changing everything. King Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great, founded Tiberius, the city on the western shore in 20 AD. And this stone they found, it was a memorial stone to the divine Augusti Tiberio from Pontius Pilate, the prefect of Judea dedicating a temple to him. As for the wife of Pontius Pilate, her name in history is Claudia Procula or Procla. She is venerated as a saint in the Orthodox Church and in the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, governess of Judea, saint, widow, and martyr. Could not find her cause of death, but Claudia Procula was not canonized a Catholic saint. And so that's kind of interesting, and I was trying to research why, and I found some different theories. One theory that interested me was that when she was having this horrible dream, this nightmare, all day it haunted her, it, it, she suffered so greatly from it, there might have been some demonic activity going on there. She's a pagan woman. They have many little g-gods. Satan could have been tormenting her, trying to get her to convince her husband not to kill Jesus. That would thwart God's whole plan of salvation. So there's just one line in scripture about her. And so she is not, uh, the Catholic Church does not have a feast day for her. But going on, they shouted out more and more, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. 
Again, when we say that on Good Friday, us in the crowd, we just feel the tension and it's hard to say. A third time, Pilate said to them, why, what evil has he done? I found no crime in him deserving death. Therefore, I'll chastise him and release him. This is the third time Pilate has said not guilty. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate gave sentence that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison, Barabbas, for insurrection and murder, whom they asked for, Jesus, he delivered up to their will. So Jesus has been in front of the high priest and the Sanhedrin trial. Then he shipped to Herod Antipas, and he's before Herod Antipas, mocked. Then he goes back to Pilate, and he's before Pilate. Three times he said he's innocent. Now they lead him away, and they seized one Simon of Cyrene. They seized him. Have you ever been taken in or helped by a Simon of Cyrene? Maybe they didn't really even want to help you at first, but they kind of got in on your journey, and they walked with you through something really hard, or you walked with someone else through something really hard, like you were their Simon of Cyrene. Help them carry their burden. I've had many Simon of Cyrene's come to me, help me. They led him away. They seized Simon of Cyrene. He was coming in from the country and they laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And they compelled a passerby of Simon of Cyrene. This is Mark's account. Mark says they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus to carry his cross. So in Mark's account, he has two sons. And they are called Alexander and Rufus. And this must have been very memorable in their lives as well. Their dad is pulled out of the crowd and meant to help carry this guy on the Via Della Rosa up to Calvary. And their kids are watching. And in Romans 16, St. Paul says, Greet Rufus, eminent in the Lord, also his mother and mine. It's thought that Rufus, that could be that Rufus. They brought him to the place of Golgotha, which means the place of a skull. A skull. And they offered him wine mingled with myrrh, but he did not take it. In Mark's account, he will have no wine with myrrh in it. Myrrh is an is a anesthetic. It's a sedative. It has medicinal properties. He doesn't want any senses dulled. He's, he's going to suffer with no... <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there is a servant of God from Poland, Wanda Malcheska. She has been made a servant of God. She's on her way to sainthood. She's a mystic. And she had revelations, private revelations. And one of them was about Simon of Cyrene, that he was at first hesitant, but changes beneath the gaze of Christ, unwillingly impressed to voluntarily become a journeyman with Christ, forced, reluctantly forced into the job of carrying Christ's cross, his look into Christ's face changes him forever. And here's what she writes about it. Christ looked upon him and Simon understood that gaze. Christ looked upon him and Simon understood that gaze. Simon immediately understood the mystery of the cross and fell in love with the Lord Jesus. I heard Simon tell the Lord Jesus, forgive me, Lord, for not having rushed at the first demand of the Jews, for I did not know you. But seeing you suffer, I have come to the conviction that you are God hidden in human flesh. That was part one of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit SeekingTruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.